back to the We Take Full Responsibility Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Holmes, along with Kyle Bush. Hey guys, yeah, excited to be back. Episode 7. Yeah, on this episode, we get to hear from Corinne Steele and some of her stories. Kyle's going to tell you about that in a second, but first, I just wanted to remind y'all what this podcast is all about. Our goal is to bring stories to you. We're not trying to build a how-to podcast, but more of a how to journey through leadership podcast. Uh, we hope what you've heard in, yeah. the, in the first six episodes is people working through some really hard things. But in the end, having clear vision, understanding their whys, and fully stepping into the what. And we just really hope that this podcast is speaking that to you. And this week, I believe Corinne uh, is a great example of that. So Kyle, tell us a yeah. little bit more about her. Yeah, definitely. I yeah, and I, and I love that that like our podcast. You know, we're still pretty early, and things are still kind of taking shape, and and we're forming, and we're iterating. But something that's really awesome is that yeah, we do provide anecdotes because I think anecdotes and, and stories from the front lines of leadership help us feel like we're part of a discussion. And and from the beginning, Taylor, that is something you and I have said that we want to really hone in on having a discussion about leadership and not, Hey, this is what it takes because leadership looks different wherever you're at. Right. Steve talked about that on last week's episode. So anyways, super excited to have my friend Corinne Steele in the studio. We'll call it. Um, we got to sit down with her last week while she was in town. Um, Corinne has a bachelor's degree in hospitality management, um, which is, is pretty, pretty awesome. It has been great for me to learn under her because of that, um, set her on a career path of creating valuable experiences, we'll say, for her clients, um, her coworkers, uh, and direct reports. I can I can speak on the last two from personal experience. Corinne has been my coworker, and then she is now my manager um, over the course of the past couple of years. And she's also an established writer, so she always checks me on my grammar and my spelling, which is fantastic and, and super helpful. Um, she's been a contributor for the Huffington Post. She had uh, a couple of her blogs go viral, one specifically uh, back in like 2015, 2016, when we'll get to that in the interview. Uh, but yeah, she is just a great example of um, buckling down and chasing a dream, and which led her across the country at one point, um, finding success with her online blog, you know, just the kind of business side of being a writer that's out there and also just creating vision in hard spaces. So without further ado, episode seven of the We Take Full Responsibility podcast. So this week, we are sitting down with my good friend, Corinne Steele. Corinne, how are you? Feeling pretty good. The altitude, I have to admit, has uh, yeah. kind of kicked me in the butt. Yeah. So Corinne actually lives, uh, she's a flatlander. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in Georgia. I don't know if that's actually flat. Is there, alti- is there, yeah, there are hills. And Stone Mountain is an actual mountain. What's the elevation? maybe a few hundred feet <laughs> above <laughs> and, sea level. And, and for our listeners that don't know, we're in Colorado Springs and we are at like 6,200 roughly at all times. Yes. So, 
understandable if you're feeling like your butt's been kicked. But anyways, Corinne has been a friend of mine for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? Two and a half years and recently has become my manager at work. Um, not recently. I guess it's been like a year. And then she is also a writer, which I think we talked a little bit in the intro. Um, so Corinne, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up, where you're from, things like that. Maybe a story that helped kind of mold you into what you do today. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Georgia. It's really ironic that I'm back there, I think. Um, and I'm, a, I'm the oldest of four kids. When I was about 13, we adopted my sister, Julia, from Bulgaria. And um, we'd always grown up in church. We were at church at least twice a week. Wednesday nights were a thing. You know, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights were sometimes a thing. Yeah. Um, Big church family. Really big, really big (laughs) church. Didn't matter the denomination. We, you know... So not, not even the same church. <laughs> like you guys just. I mean, we moved a, a good amount, and I think some of the most shaping. I'd say if I had to boil it down to just two of the most shaping experiences in my childhood would have been my dad losing his job mm. in the 2008 uh, economy crash. So we moved then. Right. Um, it was, right. did my first and only year of public school, um, and then my sister Julia, when we adopted her from Bulgaria, that kind of changed my family dynamic again and um and so how old were you when you guys adopted julia i was 13 she was three um she also had crossed eyes which is also known as strabismus so when and as a baby you're developing all these like facial recognition you know things and she didn't have that and so she needed a lot of attention and um and it took away from us other kids which is you know just kind of the way it was. And I don't resent my parents for it. My sister is like living a great life. And, um, but I started to, um, just kind of try and succeed all of the time because I figured it would make my parents proud. And that was how I approached my faith as well was like, okay, I have to be the best that I can be. Um, which is, I think what kind of led me down the road of becoming an Enneagram one, if you will. Um, I was actually, which, I was curious how long it would take for the word Enneagram. For the Enneagram it's it's not a box. Yeah. <laughs> Corinne, Corinne forced me to take the Enneagram. No, I'm just kidding. That's it's not, it's really helpful. I haven't taken yes. it. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> Anyways. I diagnosed helpful. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I just, it was all about, um, it was all about like doing the right thing and, um, and just making sure that my parents were proud of me. And I figured if they were proud of me, that God was probably proud of me and, um, so I had, I had very little, um, understanding of what grace actually was because okay. in my mind I was like, well, I do all the right things. So I don't you really don't, need, yeah. don't need grace. forgiveness. Maybe right. for the prideful thought that I had about me being so great, I probably need some <laughs> forgiveness, but, uh, no, that was, I was a Pharisee is what I like to say. Yeah. What's a Pharisee so, for our listeners that don't yeah, know? Yeah. If you don't know what a Pharisee was, <laughs> they were religious people back in the, early bcs yeah i guess late bcs (laughs) BCs. and early ad's they like memorized holy books and knew lots about what the bible said Mm. and they were the uh, they were the the law kind of too our bible today but yeah Yeah. they knew all about like the rules that you should follow and yeah yeah Yeah, so so why why is 
why was it bad to be a Pharisee? I think my focus on doing all the right things um, led to a lot of shame when I did something that was actually wrong. Um, there was always like my my baseline was up there, like way up there in my yeah. in my mind, and so um, so I, I just missed out on fun, Ugh. like innocent fun, just yeah. because I associated it with you know with i guess the wrong kinds of fun yeah. like i don't know right. i don't know it, it, I it, a... it probably like led to you being a little bit judgmental oh for sure right? yeah yeah so because of that i think a lot of times we miss out on like potentially really great friendships mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah yeah so we'll get more into that for sure okay but so you your family has shifted to big times and it, it's created in you this sense like i gotta be number one i've got to be really mm-hmm. good you know all these things you go to college, right? Mm-hmm. And so what was what was that transition like? You studied hospitality management, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. What is that? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and how do those things tie yeah. to, how do those things kind of tie together for you? Yeah. Um so I went to the University of South Carolina, go Gamecocks. And uh, I started off as an accounting major. I thought I wanted to get a, a degree in accounting and a minor in Arabic and go work for the FBI. Oh, I did not know that. That is awesome. I wanted to be so great and really impress my parents. That mm-hmm. was really where it huh. came from. And it wasn't until my sophomore year of college, my parents were driving me back um, to campus to move in. And I was like, man, I, I really don't want to do this anymore. And I feel like the only thing that's stopping me is my parents' approval. And so I'm sitting in our you know, family's Toyota Sienna in the back seat, and my parents are driving me down I-20 to South Carolina. And I was like, mom and dad, I have something to tell you. And it ended up being this great conversation. And they were like, Corinne, you can do whatever you want. We're paying lots of money for you to go to school, so maybe make up your mind soon. But, you know. <laughs> and so I went and took um, a career assessment test, and hospitality was top on the charts and i was like oh what is this so to answer your question kyle <laughs> hospitality management is um the the management and um it's just another way of saying you're getting a business management degree but your businesses that you're managing are like hotels and restaurants and anything in the tourism industry and so my classes still had marketing and accounting and but i got to take like a wine and spirits class in college Ooh. And drink at school. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it was, you know, um, yeah. you're taking lots of notes. And um, as a Pharisee, that was a big, like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. She started I leading started young leading life. Young Life in college, and I hadn't even touched it in high school because I was like, they're having too much fun. There's no way you can have that much fun and love Jesus. And, um, and even when I like was going in for placement to be, placed at a high school where I would volunteer lead and like get to know and love kids. I was like, what the heck am I doing? And I was like dressed in like a pretty decent outfit, like might've been business casual and everyone's wearing like jean cutoff shorts and like tie dye t-shirts and overall, whatever, like just crazy outfits. And I was like, Oh, this isn't like this uptight professional, um, thing at that time. Like it's right professional in its own ways but anyways ironically <laughs> enough i got placed at a private christian school with high school kids who thought they knew everything about god thought that they were too mm. cool to have fun yeah. and loved Jesus at the same time and so um so i wasn't allowed to drink in college because i was a young life leader so you started writing at some point was that had you always been a writer or when did when did the blog come about yeah great question um so 
during my summers of college, I went and worked at a camp um, called Windshape. It's Chick-fil-A's nonprofit and one of their nonprofits. And uh, my friends would make fun of me. They called it Chicken Nugget Camp. They're like, well, Corinne's going off to Chicken Nugget Camp this, <laughs> this summer. I love that, actually. <laughs> um, we did not eat Chick-fil-A every day. Um, I was actually, I was eating f- freeze-dried food most of the time because I was leading high school girls on these backpacking trips and was seeing just a lot of their walls coming down because they weren't, you know, around their phones and they couldn't wear makeup and, oh, no, your campsite's flooding. We have to hike out in the middle of the night. Like, we were really roughing it. And yeah. um. And some of the changes that I was seeing in their hearts and minds and the way they saw the world just like was a lot for me to take in as their counselor. And so my friend encouraged me to start writing that first summer, um, 2012. Hmm. And it just, I didn't think anyone would read it. And then I was just like, there might be someone out there who could relate to this or um, could find encouragement in this. And so that's really when it took off. Yeah. And then you recently bought your own domain, right? Yeah, I actually bought that um, when uh, an article of mine kind of took off faster than I thought it would. And I was like, I should probably buy this before someone else does. (laughs) What was the article? It was called... For our listeners. Yes. The article was called, I Should Be Engaged. Uh, So total clickbait. (laughs) Why should she be engaged? What does she mean? And it was like, clickbait was so hot. And this is what, like 2013, 14, 15? It was 2016. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So so yeah, so 2016, like still, it was like, yeah, I feel like it's died down a little bit now. Maybe not. Sure. I don't know that anything's really changed. People still believe everything they read off the internet. So in 2016, you got this article, it took off and what exactly? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I was, so after college, I went and lived in, um, Death Valley National Park which is every college grad's dream is to go live at below sea level. And, um, like in a van or <laughs> no, By the river. that's a the great river. question. No, I actually, I had a friend of mine, um, who had volunteered with, um, this organization that put people who believed in Jesus and the Bible into national parks to create community and host church services for those who would attend on Sunday mornings. And, she lived in Glacier National Park. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to go do that. And I'm currently unemployed. I didn't really, I was going to go to grad school and then deferred. So that's another story. But she was like, oh yeah, here's the organization. And uh, when I went and looked at it, their winter season included Big Bend um, in Texas, yeah. uh, the US Virgin Islands, which should have been my first choice, but I chose Death Valley National Park. <laughs> so I might've been chasing a boy across the country. Anyway, (laughs) so um, he wasn't the boy that mattered. Um, So in Death Valley, I uh, came up on my 23rd birthday and I was like, okay, what is my word for the year? That was kind of before those were cool for, you know, those of you tracking. And um, (laughs) I was driving to meet my friend down in Joshua Tree and I was like, God, what, like, what does it need to be? And, And I would like say words out loud to be like, Maybe it's, I don't know. Come on, give us at least one <laughs> that didn't meet the I, cut. No, I, I can't even, thinking back, I'm like, what did I, wh- where did I Turtleneck. Even... <laughs> yeah. No, that's no, not it. No, it was like, and I would just say things out loud and just see how they felt. And then this word, after I'd said like 20 of them out loud, popped into my head and I was like, 
oh crap. I didn't say crap. I said something else. This is the one. And it was engaged. And I was like, it like, it was as if someone else was sitting in the seat next to me and they were like, this is your word. And I was like, okay, this is probably the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I was like, okay, what do you mean by that? What does engaged mean? And I just started to process through like, okay, it's being face to face with a person when I'm at coffee and not looking at my phone or looking around me. It means engaging in landscapes and like going to see more of the world. And part of me was like, I wonder if it could mean like actually being engaged. engaged. And I was like, yeah, right. There's no way I'm as single as a slice of American cheese right now. And (laughs) there's like, there's no way. And so I remember like on my birthday, I was like, God, if you could pull this off, it'd be one heck of a miracle. That matters here in just a second. So (laughs) my word for the year is engaged. I wrote about it in this article and um, it within the next 48 hours had over a million reads and I had blogs of all sorts reaching out to me asking if they could repost it. Um, Someone from the Huffington Post reached out and they're like, Hey, we want to feature you and you could actually have your own like personal use of the space on Huffington Post. So I actually have a handful of other, yeah, I have a handful of other articles on there. And so I did, I engaged a lot with new people and new, cultures and i wound up moving to glacier national park which i engaged in some of the most beautiful landscapes in america yeah, and how many national parks are you at now i know that that's like a big thing for you yeah so i i wanted to see all of them by the time i turned 30 i Still have time. slowed down a lot but i've seen 33 of the u.s national parks and how many are there they say there are 61 i don't count the bridge in st louis i'm sorry it doesn't oh the arch Whatever it is, it's, an <laughs> it's not a national park. <laughs> I've been there for the uh, for the listeners. That's one I've got on current. So I, said, I think it's called a gateway. It is. It's the gateway arch, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bridge. Yeah. Um. Okay. Which is, anyway, so, so thirty three out time, of sixty. Were, yeah, call yeah. it sixty. So more than half. Yeah, which is great. It's awesome. And you um, started with this when you were like twenty three. When you really started going after it. Yeah, I'd been to a few as a kid, um, but being in the national parks. Um, just gives you freedom to on your off weekends. Like I'm going to drive down to Zion or when I moved between Death Valley and Glacier, I knocked out like nine of them in a road trip and just drove through California. What a dream. Honestly, yeah. if you want to save money and go on vacation, just go to California. There are <laughs> like, I think they have like six or seven. Um, Is that all? I was thinking like double digits. I mean, it's everything from, they might have more, but they have like, they have condors and they have Yosemite and they have, um, Redwoods, the Redwoods and they have Joshua tree. I mean, it's just so, um, channel, channel islands. Um, anyways, Anyways. they've got a lot. (laughs) You could see a lot in one. So you moved to Glacier. So I moved to Glacier and at the time, uh, was really questioning if I really believed in this whole Jesus, God and the Bible thing. Uh, and I decided that I didn't anymore. And so I started engaging in other behaviors that I hadn't before with alcohol. Still and engaging. Still engaging. <laughs> <laughs> um, and was just living a really reckless lifestyle and was like, I don't, I don't think God uh, exists. And if there was any sense of believing that he did, I, I don't think I cared. Um, so it was the lowest year of my life in just the way that I was hurting myself even. Um, 
and not physically hurting myself, but I mean, alcohol ruins your liver. So it was (laughs) (laughs) anyway, what you were, what you were running to and things like that. The habits you were creating. Yeah. I was, I felt really empty, but I was getting all this attention for my writing and for what my Instagram Mm -hmm. feed looked like. And I, everyone was like, Oh my gosh, your life is amazing. And I was like, it, yeah, it looks like that, but it's, it's pretty empty. So, um, and, and not to be mistaken, like it was amazing the hikes that I got to go on and the people that I met. Um, but at the end of the day, when I went home by myself, I was like, this kind of stinks. So, so what happened next? You moved to Glacier. You've made this kind of declaration of like, yeah, I don't, I don't think God, I think what you said, uh, it just didn't make sense to you at the point, at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, it's funny. I had given a hitchhiker a ride and he just started poking holes in like, well, why do you believe that the Bible's real? And how do you know that, you know, Jesus wasn't just some like really nice guy. And I was like, I don't know. I've just believed what was handed to me in Sunday school and never really. So that's what led to the, the, um, just the questioning in in general. And so I'm getting ready to leave Glacier and one of my summer camp campers from chicken nugget camp, (laughs) nugget camp, um, comments on an Instagram picture of mine, one of the beautiful ones from Glacier. And she says, can you just meet my brother so we can be related? And I was like, I think you're inferring that we would get married Ooh, and you'd be no. my sister-in-law. But there's a lot of things that have to happen there. Yeah, that, was, that was a strong pickup line <laughs> yeah. from so my she sister. Was, she'd been trying to convince me in the year prior to meet him. And I just never had. But in a nutshell, I met him. And he was the first person that had asked me, like, oh, my gosh, your life looks so amazing. How has it been? And I finally told the truth and was like, I have never felt further away from God. and I've probably gained 10 pounds from drinking all the time and I, it, it's not what it looks like. And he across the table from me was like, I get it. And he only said those three words and I knew he really meant it. And that was what started our friendship. And I was like, I think Jesus is actually the best thing that's ever happened to me because I stopped thinking he was real. And now my life really stinks. (laughs) And so yeah go go and go more into that like does jesus make your like was it jesus that made your life great i think it was there's something about having hope Mm. in something that's not a great hike that's not a great hike it's not my own successes and failures social media likes yeah and i realized like I don't know. I, I didn't need there to be a bunch of rules around it the way that there had been growing up in Sunday school, mm-hmm. that it could just be a relationship. And that's when I really, that's when I got hit with the wrecking ball of grace. And I was like, the wrecking ball oh, I really need forgiveness. And I really need, you know, I really need a savior. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know over spiritualize. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you went there. So I'm yeah. just exploring so. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, good. So wrecking ball, was that like your theme? Wrecking ball. <laughs> No, my theme was engagement. Remember? Oh yeah, we're still we're still in that year. (laughs) Um, So this is all this is all after you've your word engagement, right? And so you're you're in Glacier Valley now, right? mm -hmm. This is kind of where your was your career going the way that you wanted it to, like with the writing and 
This yeah. all kind of leads back into hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. What would you say your vision for yourself was at that point? Yeah. So I had started working for a company called Zantera, um, who own and run many of the concessionaires in the national parks. And so I had started off working as a server in this very nice resort restaurant in Death Valley and then worked my way up to managing a restaurant in Glacier. And I saw myself going, you know, down that path in in hospitality. And it really is a joy of mine to give people great experiences in some of these beautiful places. Sure. So I don't know that I had I had a vision. I was going to like I wanted to run and eventually own a restaurant of my own and then meeting my chicken nugget camp camper's brother really derailed that. Yeah, so so, so to talk more about that, you know, you're you're figuring out that you're not you maybe you're lacking vision in this mm-hmm. season, right? Not really understanding. Mm-hmm. You're coming to the realization that Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to you. Your words not mine. And <laughs> What changed because you were managing a restaurant in Glacier Valley and then you're in Colorado Springs and that's where we met. So like what all happened in that season? (laughs) I know there's a lot, but it was very quick. First of all, Kyle, it's Glacier National Park. There's no valley. Yeah. Mostly peaks. Oh, I got I got (laughs) Death Valley mixed in there. You're like, dang it. Uh, Yeah. Do all that again. Should I do it all again? I don't care that much. Um, yeah, great question. Um, what, so yeah, I, what about I your meet... cam- your chicken nugget camper's brother? <laughs> Back to that. So I I meet his name is Brian um, in Utah. My friend Annie Kay had flown to Montana as I was leaving Glacier. We were going to do another road trip to see more national parks because I had to see them all by thirty. And my chicken nugget camp camper had commented. And then given my number to her brother, who had then texted me. and Shout out, Brian. Yeah, but his text message was, howdy, my name is Brian Steele. And he just like, <laughs> and if you know him, he like wears a cowboy hat and a Carhartt, but he's also had dreads and like a pair of Hawaiian themed vans. Like he's totally <laughs> hybrid. A, a, a renaissance man. <laughs> yeah. He's half Chilean, so he's fluent in Spanish as well. So I meet Brian in this extended stay hotel parking lot in Ogden, Utah, where he's managing pilot flying J truck stops as part of their corporate training program. And I don't have a job. Annie Kay and I are on this road trip to see more national parks. And from the moment we met, I'd say he knew probably 10 minutes before I did that we were going to be together. Um, we just knew there was something about it. And um, and after a series of events, he quit his job in Utah got another job in Colorado Springs so that he could actually go to my dad and say, can I marry your daughter? I have a job. And, um, and so we moved to Colorado Springs, worked for Chick-fil-A for a bit. And then, um, together, you guys were together. And here's the thing. I had worked for Chick-fil-A since I was 14. So I had like 10 years of experience. So we moved to Colorado Springs and, um, and I have more experience with chick-fil-a than he does but he's supposed to be my boss where it's this whole dynamic and that sounds terrible it was not good starting out i was like you guys are married we were engaged engaged? living with our boss he had two spare bedrooms and so brian had the upstairs and i had the downstairs and we would wake up and go to work with our boss and we'd come home and have dinner with our boss and we only talked about (laughs) chick-fil-a and i love chick-fil-a but not in that season and so you had this vision of like this ain't it um, I think we realized that 
it was it, it at least wasn't it for me i needed to get out and do something else i had been in chick-fil-a i mean i was like the poster child i felt like i had done their nonprofit. i'd worked you were a literal chicken nugget <laughs> i was turning into a chicken nugget <laughs> um, i mean i came home smelling like one every night so um so we um yeah we knew it wasn't it for me and so i started looking around for another job and i was like I am 24 and I am jobless again and living in Colorado Springs with a man who's basically a stranger. What am I, what am I doing? So talk about a lack of vision. And, um, so I wound up getting a job at a perennial flower nursery and it was some of the most beautiful months of working in sandals and my wolf (laughs) t-shirt. It's an awesome t-shirt. And, um, and I finally realized that, like, I could just be a human being and have, like, nothing tied to my value based on my output at work. And it was freeing. And I think that's where the chains fell out. My boss even pulled me aside one day and was like, Corinne, you realize that, like, you could you could plant a 100 plants in a day or you could plant a 1,000 plants in a day. And we love you because you're Corinne and you work for us. It's not about the numbers. That's awesome. Um, and that was when Brian realized like <laughs> he wanted some of that too. And to not have his, you know, what his worth felt like at the end of the day to be based on output. Um, and so he came to work at the perennial flower nursery and we were working <laughs> together again. <laughs> but those were the, you know, the years that, yeah. So those were the years that um, we actually got to become friends because it was such a whirlwind of getting, you know, um, together in the first place. And so. So it's one year from the day that I wrote the article that went viral and I'm standing on um, about six inches of snow in Buena Vista, Colorado, um, walking down this man-made aisle that someone had dug out of the snow to marry Brian. Um, And so it was really cool looking back that it had nothing to do with the article, but the way that I'd lived my life and just... um, kind of like widened the angle mm-hmm. of I guess lens of perspective. Sounds like there was ten years of journeying and one year of extreme growth mm-hmm. and engagement and that um I think that when we pull the current back we can like pick a word like engagement. But we don't really know like what that the year really holds for us. Uh, but when we allow the Lord to work in our hearts through a hitchhiker, through a girl mm-hmm. that you were a counselor for, through a random uh, boyfriend or now boyfriend, then engagement, then Chick-fil-A. Like when we look back, uh, we can just see the Lord's faithfulness in that. Common to um, But in it, it's hard. And so it's, it's, your story is sweet because it's like a 10-year journey. But then, like, the height of it in this one year, the Lord just revealing, like, you don't have to. It's just you. Yeah. It's just yeah. you. Yeah. I think that hits the nail on the head. Yeah. So, you got married. You were at the perennial flower farm. What happened next? Um. So, Brian was actually uh, in a car accident when he was 14 and okay. should have lost his life. But because of that, there's a lot of things that trauma 
yeah, there was trauma. There's a lot of scar tissue buildup. So oh, physical trauma. Physical, yeah. Um, and if you ever get to meet Brian, you should ask him his story because it's truly a miracle. And so we're living as newly married a uh, couple working at a perennial flower nursery without health benefits. And Brian, you know, needs to go to the doctor. And it's benefits. like yeah. a lot of money to go to the doctor if you don't have health insurance. And so that was honestly the first uh, real reason why I was like, I need another job. <laughs> so, um, and, and so a friend of mine said, hey, this thing just got posted at uh, Young Life. And... um I think your hospitality degree could benefit you in it. And so I applied and I got it. And, um, and just a side tangent, kind of a backstory. When I was working for Chick-fil-A, I was taking a catering order one afternoon to, um, the address of 420 North Cascade Avenue. And I show up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a huge young life office. I had no (laughs) idea that young life's headquarters was in Colorado Springs. And I walk in and this sweet woman who reminds me of my mom, looks just like her, um, takes, you know, takes me upstairs and I set the catering order up and I was like, is this like the young life? And she was like, yeah, this is the international headquarters. Young life. Yes. A year later, after I start working for young life, I, connect the dots that the woman I delivered that catering order to is my Bible study leader now, Christina Harrell. And oh. so it's just so funny that like even in the land of <laughs> chicken nuggets and Polynesian sauce, the <laughs> Lord knew that he would have me somewhere else in, you know, in a handful of months. And so all I had to do was be patient. Yeah, Corinne. And, and so you, you got the job. Somebody, you know, threw their hat in for you. Um, Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I feel like <clears throat> you're a leader in the workplace now, not only because of who you are, but you literally have a, a role of leadership. One of, I, I would say, <laughs> as someone who reports to you, one of your greatest strengths is vision. Well, thanks. Yeah. No, I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, and, and the hospitality thing that gets woven in, I mean, even thinking you wanted to make sure Brian was taken care of. So you're like, I need a new job. Like that's hospitality. You're like, I want to be hospitable mm-hmm. and like have benefits for my husband. So having that vision of like, all right, I got to get a new job. That has blossomed into so much for you, including where you're at now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your current role, how you got there and what you're looking to next. What, what does next, what does the vision look like now? Yeah. Um, it's funny. You caught me at a weird time because my current job is changing and it feels really uncomfortable. But as I've even just been sitting here talking with you guys, I'm like, I needed to take a minute and look back at how the Lord has been faithful because mm-hmm. right now is about the time that I <laughs> needed that reminder. So, so you got hired by Young Life, right? You're a field event specialist. What when you get on the job, what was kind of your first interpretation and like what, what opportunities and what vision did you have in that role that led to you becoming the manager? Yeah. Um, I was really excited that I was finally using my college degree that I paid lots of money for. And, um, and this idea that in, in young life, you know, they are funded primarily on the generosity of, other people. And a lot of those funds are raised at events, um, which I had experience doing. I was a wedding planning intern for a semester and just had an eye for detail. And so I 
uh, got to marry those two things, like this role as an event specialist and my passion for hospitality and attention to detail and excellence together and got to help coach some of the Young Life field staff on how to run really good banquets and golf tournaments and clay shoots. Um, Yeah, I would say it just kind of grew from there. and Yeah, and the opportunity. So one of the transitions that we went through as a team, Corinne and I were teammates at this point, still teammates, but we were on the same level. Yeah, (laughs) One of the things that happened is that we changed from being under a a greater department of financial services to being on the marketing team, Mm -hmm. right? And so what what opportunities or challenges does that present to you for then you to like take hold of your hospitality gifting? Sure. Yeah. So our department changed, um, like Kyle said, and, and the person who had supervised Kyle and me before that switched jobs. And so this job opening is there. And, um, I don't know. I, I think I wanted to stop giving fish and teach people to fish. I wanted to stop just, putting out little fires and teach people how to fight their own fires. And, um, and so in my interview for this manager role, I, I told the interviewers, I was like, I think the department needs a name change. I think it needs a new identity. I think the culture in it is great. Like we have Kyle and I have a lot of fun at work and, um, the other people who've worked with us have, you know, lent to that. And so I don't think that needs to change, but, we need to just be the field events department and not just the event solutions department. Um, we do more than just solution your events. We, <laughs> we want to teach you about hospitality and about um, how it's, it's inviting people in and how it doesn't have to be um, grandiose and, you know, have cost you a lot of money. Yeah. It's about opening your heart and making sure that people are included and feel like they have a place. Yeah. And, and so in that we went from being a solutions team to a strategy team. So the team changed, we yeah. changed names and we did that for about a year and a half. Right. Mm-hmm. We, what, what were some of the challenges of creating that, like making that vision actual? Cause right. What do we say? Vision without execution is hallucination. Simon Sinek, once again, so what were some of the execution parts that you took charge of? Yeah. Um, one of them is a new software that we gave to our field and said, hey, instead of having to come to this team of two people to ask for all of your needs and wants, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take a lot of time. And that, I mean, that was, that's probably the biggest. Right. Like a pro- major product launch. Yeah. Um, and so I've had to walk through that and that's kind of, that kind of leads into being a younger leader. If you look at a lot of the people who are in a similar role where I work, they're older than me and I'm in lots of, it feels to me like big meetings with people who've been there longer are older than me, are men, are people who don't look and think like me. Yeah. One of the things that you, that you've talked about with to me with is the 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 idea of imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit where that that really was hard i know for a season and like what someone who maybe feels that way that's listening like what would you tell them yeah Yeah. what would you yeah well so what would you say to a young leader that finds himself in a position that they feel like man i'm not equipped for this i'm not old enough for this 
everybody else in the room doesn't look like me. Mm-hmm. Like, especially coming from a background of like performance and then shedding that. And now you find yourself in a room that you feel uncomfortable. Like, what would you say were some of the key things that helped you enter into those spaces with confidence? And what would you say to somebody of like, how do they just take responsibility for having vision for themselves in that? I would, I would, I would say you are here for a reason, which is probably the most cliche thing I could say, but I mean it with every ounce because if you think about it, the people who hired you saw something in you, the experiences that you've had have all led up to this, whether you realized in the moment that they were leading up to this or not. And you're better than you think you are. So that's a great word. So looking ahead now where we are, we're kind of in an interesting position at work, right? So maybe outside of just our careers and where they're projecting, what are you excited about right now? What vision do you have for what's next for current steel? Yeah. Um, I think right now where we are, and I don't want to talk too much about just work, but, um, I'm, because of shifts right now in my professional life, I get to dream a little bit more and be like, okay, I, I've been called up to where I am now and what's high, like what is above and beyond. And, and maybe does, it doesn't look flashier or cooler than where I am now, but maybe, maybe it's a role that lets me exercise some of my other giftings that haven't been exercised in a while. Like I haven't written in a minute because mm-hmm. I don't have time or at least I tell myself I don't have time. Right. Um, <laughs> maybe I get to do more of the hospitality stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, is it exciting to think about what your, your blog or your, your brand could become? Yeah. Honestly, if I, if bills weren't a thing and, <laughs> <laughs> um, you had and, extra time. Yeah, and I had if I could yes, if I had extra time, if only. Um, I would love to put more into a brand and Corinsteel.com. Owning my own it's Corinrsteel.com. And um and even owning my own business one day. That's like where my brain has been going a lot lately. And I'm like, I could event plan or be a professional organizer or I mean anything. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. world's my oyster, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure. Your last post that you wrote was January 17th and it was about timelines. Can you talk a little bit about that? What inspired that? Because thinking about where you're at right now and thinking, um, one of the things you said earlier was like, I'm 24, I'm jobless again, right? Like you put yourself on a timeline and your your article is about, we need to do away with timelines, right? Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, I was driving home from the gym one morning and, um, in Georgia in the wintertime, things just get gray and rainy. It doesn't snow. It doesn't get that cold, but I noticed that there was a cherry tree that was like in full bloom. And I was like, what are you doing? I said that out loud in my car. I was like, what the heck, man? Like it's not <laughs> spring. It's January. Right. And, and this voice in my head was like, who are you to tell the cherry tree when it gets to bloom? And I was like, oh man, you're right. Like maybe now is the time for it to bloom and it's going to just be healthier and healthier as like time goes on. Like m- who am I to tell other people when they 
where they should be in life and who are other people to tell me where I should be in life. And I think that was a truth that I came to grips with when Brian and I were what seemed like fast tracking our relationship. I, I, I realized like who, who said you have to date for a year before you get married? I mean, I wouldn't recommend to everybody that they meet someone and then get engaged (laughs) a month later. Um, I think it really has to come from something supernatural for that to happen. But, um, But yeah, it doesn't have to look like everyone else's story. And it certainly doesn't have to make sense on paper because 95% of my life hasn't made sense on paper and I'm doing just fine. (laughs) So So how do you keep writing without the fear of what people think? Good question. Yeah. Um, It's funny because one of the blogs that reached out to me after the article went viral asked if they could interview me about going viral and this expectation now to have everything hit at that intensity. And, um, and I don't remember word for word what I, you know, explained to this woman. You did the interview. Yeah, it was, it wasn't, it was like over the phone. I was sitting in the parking lot of the only post office (laughs) in Death Valley. It was like 400 square feet. I told her that, I wrote that original article for myself and I just needed to keep writing for myself. And if I do that, then, you know, it's, it's great. If I get a million viewers, it's great if I get 60 and it's okay if no one reads my blog because I've at least gotten my thoughts out on a paper and I feel like I can breathe a little bit better. So it's more of an exercise for me and it's a cherry on top that other people could benefit from it. And that's important to delineate because there's, you said that you had written and then you, you had the thought later of like, this could help some people. I'll continue to put my thoughts out there. But were you writing for an audience or were you still writing for you and then putting it in front of an audience? Great question. Yeah. The beginnings of my writing were for, I mean, I think it at a foundational level, it was for me the whole time. I would walk away from writing and feel like I weighed hundred pounds lighter because my thoughts and emotions were organized. And even if they weren't, maybe it was a mess and I would still come out with this meaning to it all at the end. And, and so I think it kind of went like if, if it was on a bell curve, like it started for me and then I would say it shifted and was like, Oh, people are actually reading this. Like I should maybe consider other thinking them, thinking about them, other perspectives. And, but then after that one, got as big as it did, I had to kind of pull it back and say, no, this is for me. And like a reality check kind of, yeah, I can't make everything viral all the time. I'll just wear myself out and nothing will ever be perfect enough. And, and so, and you felt that because that was when you were like struggling. Yeah. It was when, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and even now I don't make time for it because I'm like, there was that one time that it went (laughs) viral and, Mm. And it seemed like yeah. the setting for it was perfect. Can I replicate that? Yeah. And so there's always the temptation to feel yeah. that way. And there's definitely like a current, like in our culture, uh, we all interact with kids and everybody wants to go viral. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is yeah. hoping that their one Instagram post hits. Yeah, they're TikTok. Yeah, TikTok now. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, TikTok. Um but like what a countercultural thing it is to just like I'm just writing for myself mm-hmm. and like 
um, being able to shed again back to those uh, flowers of like, just be you. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that's the greater message for our audience is like, just be you and just see what the Lord does around you, who he brings into your life uh, and how he works and orchestrates all things um, for the best for you. And uh, it's not about everybody around you and making them like you. And uh, I think that's that's even a struggle we have with this podcast. Every time we post one, we're like, how many listens did we get today? Oh, we beat our average. Only 7 million. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like, what? As we're walking away from a conversation with somebody, like, what are the things we learned? And like, I hope that just hits one person. Mm-hmm. Um, They're always such unique experiences. Like tonight, we are in a coffee roastery. And we are speaking to a good friend about important things. Yeah. Like the experience is so much more than the likes or the reads. When you read through your post, there's a common theme of patience and like being patient for what's next or being patient in a season. Why does that speak so much to you or why does that flow out? Yeah. Um, it's funny. We as a marketing team have started a Bible study recently about um, about slowing down and the discipline of unhurriedness. And when my boss proposed it, I was like, that's really funny. Cause I was just scrolling. I was just scrolling through my blog and was like, there's a common theme here of patience. What the heck? <laughs> and I think when I, when I, when my, when I actually have vision and I'm like, Oh, this is a great idea. I'm like, let's make it happen right now. Um, I was going to throw in an Enneagram comment, but Kyle's giving me a look, so I won't. Um, and and there have been so many things, like whether it was chasing that boy to California and putting me in Death Valley or going to grad school or, I mean, the whole number of things. Um, my heart, I feel like, has like gets really easily attached to stuff. Mm. And, and I have to realize, like, not everything happens right now. And that's okay. Yeah. And, um, specifically in this season, we, um, we're just waiting on some really big things to happen. Um, Brian and I are, and, and so it's kind of sweet for me to go back and read things that I've written years ago. I think I was smarter back then than I am now. (laughs) And to be like, no, Corinne, like, don't you remember this time when you waited and look how it turned out and you're better for it. So that's a great word. Corinne, thank you so much for taking time. So a big shout out to Corinne Steele for making the trip to Colorado Springs specifically for the podcast, but also for work. <laughs> no, it was a joy to have her and host her and and so fun just sitting back and talking about uh, creating vision in those hard spaces and uh, where her story has taken her. We hope that's encouraging to you. On next week's podcast, Taylor. Yeah, next week's episode, we have Michael Manning. Michael Manning is a really good friend of mine from Chicago. Michael works for an organization uh, 
that raises awareness against uh, child sex trafficking all over the world, but mainly in Southeast Asia. And so Michael came on the podcast. He shared a little bit about his story, but then also what it means to share the stories of others really well, to cast vision for people really well, and to invite people in to a bigger mission. So we hope that that podcast or that episode really speaks to you. Yeah. And so if it did, right, if if you felt like that was encouraging, if you felt like um, maybe Corinne had some has gone through seasons that maybe you've gone through or are going through right now, um, we would love for you to share our podcast with people that you think uh, could be encouraged by it. Or if you want to if you want to learn more about um, how you can be involved with, you know, awareness for child sex trafficking, things like that, make sure you tune in next week. One way to make sure you don't miss any episodes is to subscribe. We are on all streaming platforms, so wherever you're listening, just go ahead and click that subscribe button. Also, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating uh, and a review, that's going to help us kind of climb the charts and get these stories of leadership in front of more people uh, so that more people have the opportunity to take responsibility, whatever that looks like for them, whether it's uh, their vision, whether it's their gifting, um, whether it's their neighbors and, and how they can help, whether it's, you know, the children in their community and, and all those different things. So um, go ahead and rate, and review us, subscribe. And, and again, thanks for listening. Um, I'm Kyle Bush. I'm Taylor Holmes. And we take full responsibility. I'm Kyle Bush. I'm Taylor Holmes. I'm Corinne Steele. And And we we take take full responsibility. responsibility.